We are studying the book of Matthew, uh, Matthew 18 through the end of the Gospel of Matthew between now and Easter. And uh, last week was our first in this series that we're calling Kingdom Come. And really we're going to explore Jesus just really talking about what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Um, the kingdom of heaven uh, is where Jesus rules and reigns. And so ultimately we recognize that will be all of creation, all of the earth one day will, will bow before Jesus. But, uh, but as we stand right now for those that have placed their faith in him, uh, when, we, when we are obedient to Jesus, when we give him the territory of our heart, then the kingdom has come within our heart and it begins to move outward and we get to show it to the, the, the world around us to show a better Passages are, are really helpful in that they, they show us a picture of what the kingdom is meant to look like. And so last week, if you were with us, if not, I'll give you the quick cliff notes, right? The, the disciples came and said, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said, hey, first of all, uh, you need to worry not about who's the greatest, but if you're in. You need to figure out if you have become like a child, if you humbled yourself and entered into the kingdom. And then once you're into the kingdom, don't value yourself more highly than someone else because uh, we serve a God who would leave the 99 sheep to go after the one that is strayed. And, and each, each of us is precious in his sight, and he, and he loves us. And so we shouldn't despise someone that God loves and values and treasures. And, uh, and, and so we had this visual image of this shepherd that's kind of going out looking for these lost sheep, and it's a picture of God looking for us. And, and you might picture a shepherd walking through this, this green uh, Scottish meadow, right? Like looking for, you know, turning over tufts of grass, like looking for this. But, but the reality is, is that when you go looking for lost sheep, it's a lot more difficult than that, right? It's, it's dangerous. It's strenuous. You know, maybe you've got some ravines to cross. Maybe, uh, maybe you've got some cliffs, uh, sheer rock walls to climb up. Um, it's, it's a much more difficult process. And so I know that feels like a lot of setup, but what I'm trying to show you is that our passage today directly relates to that. Uh, last week he showed us, hey, we, we love and serve a God who goes after those that are lost. Today we're going to look at the, the actual process of how that happens. And the thing that's, that's amazing to consider is that a lot of the times when God works in this world, he can do miraculous things, he can, he can kind of operate in any way that he chooses, but he chooses to operate for the most part through the church, through those that have placed their faith in him, through those that believe in him. And so when, when he talks about the shepherd going and seeking the lost sheep, what he's really describing a lot of times is how we are to go out and to seek those that are lost and the process that we're, we're meant to restore a lost sheep back into the fold. And so today we're really going to be talking about restoration. We're going to be talking about forgiveness. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, some, some challenging things. It's a, it's a heavy message, right? Has anybody in here ever been hurt or wronged? Have you ever had somebody do anything wrong to you? I'll pray for the rest of you guys. Uh, <laughs> or maybe you, I'll just give you the mic, right? But man, we've all, we've all been hurt. We've all, we've all had people wrong us, and, um, and sometimes, if you're like me, the way you responded to that wrong has compounded it. It's actually made it worse. Like, they did wrong, and then you responded in a wrong way, and it's got... So, so thanks be to God, he has laid out for us a pattern of how we're supposed to pursue reconciliation and, and, and restoration this morning. And so it's in Matthew chapter 18. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 15. If you haven't already turned there in your Bibles, it'll also be up on the screen for you. But it says this, it says, uh, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So he's talking about if, if one believer sins against, harms, uh, does wrong to another believer, your brother, right? Go and tell him between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, Tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, 
Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. This passage is, is significant because there's a lot of times when we come, we open up God's word and we say, hey, what's the timeless truth here that we need to understand and then figure out how to apply to our lives here and now today? But, but when, when Jesus is so explicit in his instruction, the goal is really just to obey, right? We don't have to, we don't have to interpret I mean, some things with the situation, but Jesus lays out some very specific steps, and it's our call is to be obedient to those steps. And actually, when Jesus tells us specifically how to do it, and we choose to do it a different way, that's what we call what? Sin, right? Jesus, you said do this, but I'm going to do it this way, right? And so if we want to be in line with, with God, if we want to be living as, as part of his kingdom, then we, uh, we should praise God that he's given us such clear and explicit instructions on how to restore a relationship that has been broken by sin. And so today we're going to look at three, three things. We're going to look at the process of restoration. We're going to look at the promises of Jesus. And we're going to look at the perspective of the gospel. As you guys know, any great sermon has three points that start with the letter P, right? So you should be really excited because this is, you know, this is like right in the zone, right? We're going to look at, we're going to be looking at the, 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 the process, we're going to look at the promises, and we're going to look at the perspective this morning. Um, so the first thing, the process of restoration, and, and Jesus really lays out four things that we're called to do. First is private correction. He says, hey, keep this circle as small as possible. It's really between, first and foremost, between you and the person who has sinned against you. Uh, you're to go to them, and the goal is restoration. I'm going to say that like 20 times today. The goal is restoration. The goal is not to put somebody on blast. It's not to, not to, to, to hang their dirty laundry up for everyone else to see, to make them see how wrong and horrible and awful they are. The goal is that you're going to come out of this uh, in a better relationship than you had even before the sin took place. Um, I shared, uh, as part of my wedding sermon, I share a quote from, from John Piper. I just got a chance to share it a couple weeks ago, right? He says uh, that, that conflict is not the end of love. Conflict is the occasion for love, right? There's always going to be conflict, right? And when we come in conflict with each other, that doesn't mean that we've run out of love. Conflict is actually the opportunity that we have to actually show and express, put our love on display, and so it's actually possible that, that, that this thing that was intended for evil can become good in your relationship if you follow through the way that, that God is calling us to do. Uh, this, is, this is related to unrepentant sin. If somebody does something and they come to you and say, I'm so sorry, I don't know why I did that. Can you please forgive me? You don't have to have a follow-up like, hey, the Bible tells me I need to come and confront you, right? Like they've, they've repented. They know it was wrong. They've, they've come back to you, right? But this is for someone who's in unrepentant sin. And I also want to say that, that it's not every single little thing, right? 1 Peter 4.8 says this. It says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins, right? Amen. So, so we're called to exhibit the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ as much as we possibly can. And, and, and when we can, if somebody jumped in line in front of you downstairs, you were headed for the maple glazed donut, and they grabbed the last one and took it, you don't have to pull them aside and say, hey, brother, you have sinned against me, and we're officially entered into the process, right? You can show them mercy. But there's times when sin, we know that sin separates us from God, and if you see someone entering into a pattern of repeated sin that's harmful to them and harmful to others, the loving thing to do is to go to them and say, hey, listen, you, you sinned against me, and I'm telling you this because I want you to be closer to Jesus, and I want us to be closer to each other, and so I'm coming with the right heart to ask you. Let's turn, and, 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 and something really great can happen out of this. You can go to the person, and they might say, wow, I didn't even realize. I didn't even realize what I did. Um, 
And uh, man, I am so sorry. Would you forgive me? Would you be willing to, what can I do to make it right? Man, that's a great response, right? They might say, hey, you know what? I knew that was wrong when I did it. And I've been too ashamed and too, uh, man, I've just been too embarrassed to even come to you and apologize. And man, thank you for having the courage to come and, and bring it up with me and caring enough to come and speak to me. Man, that means so much. Uh, man, I view you like a brother, right? You come out strongly. And a lot of times, that's exactly what's going to happen. If, if it's two people that are focused on living their life according to God's will and out of the gospel, that's going to happen. And that's going to be beautiful. And that's going to be the end of it. And no one else will ever know except the two of you, right? But then there's going to be times when their heart is hard, when they're going to blame shift, or they're going to rationalize, or they're going to disagree, or they're going to say that you're actually the one who's causing the problem. And, and when that happens, then Jesus tells us how to, to take steps forward in that. Before we take the, the step to step number two, I just want to mention, there's a lot of wrong ways to go about this. As the person who has been sinned against, there are a lot of wrong ways that you can approach it, right? Uh, you, can, um, you can gossip, right? Hey, you won't believe what that person did to me, right? Just swooped right in there and grabbed that maple donut, and I can't believe it. What's wrong with them, right? They shouldn't even be eating donuts, right? <laughs> Sometimes we disguise gossip as advice. We go to someone and say, hey, hey, come here. I'm just telling you because I know that you're a strong Christian, and this person, you won't believe what they did to me, and I just, I'm looking for advice from you on this because, right? It's tempting, right? That seems like a good idea. Like, hey, go, go, go get some advice from another Christian. But, but what Jesus says is go right to that person. Right? And, I, and we want to be obedient to Jesus. And there's some good reasons for that, right? Because if you, you build all this up, like, hey, oh, you can't believe it. This person's getting all mad and indignant. Like, oh, and then over here on the side, all of a sudden, then you actually have a chance to have a conversation. You guys hug it out and work it and everything's cool. Now you guys are cool. But now this relationship is broken because this person has a negative opinion of that person based on what they heard, and they didn't get to, they weren't there for the reconciliation. They were only there for the brokenness. So, so gossip, like spreading things, it just, it, 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 it breaks things down, right? Um, uh, there's, there's a false peace. You get together, you talk with the person, you're like, okay, yeah, it's cool. Like, you know what, let's just put it behind us. Let's, let's forget it, but you don't forget it. You continue to hold it against them. Uh, you come back to him later and say, hey, I know I said I was cool with it, but you know what? I'm not cool with it, right? If you're going to enter into this discussion, be committed to work it out there in the spot. Don't, don't reserve the right to come back and get angry again later, right? Like, like commit to working it out there and then. Um, there's avoidance, right? You might just avoid the person. You might secretly punish them by the silent treatment. You might uh, just yield and just keep giving them their way. Like, yeah, Jesus said, turn the other cheek, so I guess I'll just let them keep sinning against me. Well, that's not helping them, and it's not helping you, right? So it's not, it's not healthy. You could publicly shame them, right? You go on Facebook, I'm like, hey, everybody, guess what this person did, right? Don't do that. That's, that's not a good way to handle it. That, because you see what? Each one of these things that goes wrong, what does it do? It increases the divide, and the goal is restoration. The goal is restoration, to come back together, to be one. And all these things just put the wedge deeper in. The last one is to get revenge. Hey, you did that to me, guess what I'm going to do to you, right? Clearly, these are, these are broken ways. And so Jesus' way is the best way. And so, so but if they're unwilling to listen, then, then the next step is small group clarification. The circle is still very small. He says, go get one or two others. And the goal is, good job. That's awesome. The goal is restoration, right? So I'm not going to stack the deck. Oh, these guys don't like that person anyway. So, hey, come here. I, wanna, I, need, I need you to come be on my side, right? 
you're going to enter in. You're going to invite people that are, that are godly men or women that you, that you both trust and, and relate to, and you're going to invite them in and say, hey, let's have an honest conversation about this. And you have to be open to the possibility that through that, they might turn to you and say, hey, you know what? I don't know that they actually sinned against you. I think you're looking at this wrong, and you have to be willing to accept that, that saying like, hey, we're bringing you in because we trust and value your, your wisdom and your, and your understanding of the gospel, and, and we want you to speak into our situation, and if I'm in the wrong, let me know so I can, I can repent and turn, right? And so, so the hope is that by bringing just a few others in, that the relationship will be restored. But if their heart is still hard in the, in the, in the presence of, of two or three uh, godly men and women who are saying to you, look, look, you're, you're going the wrong way. You need to repent. You need to turn back. Then the, the third step is the involvement of the church. Now, this seems intense, right? Man, you're, you're going to tell a church what happened? That, man, is that their business? Well, we're a community, right? Uh, that, that there's been a, a break, a fracture in the, in the community, and the goal is restoration, right? And so uh, it's gotten to the point where Every effort to, to, to heal the fracture is not working. And so now we're going to invite the whole body to come along and to pursue this sheep that has strayed. We're going to invite the whole body to say, hey, be praying for this person, be reaching out to them, be encouraging them. Um, but, but you need to understand that they're choosing to willfully turn their, their back on Jesus and not listen, right? And, and, and clearly, this is not a donuts situation, right? <laughs> This is, this is serious. The, uh, scripture gives us an example in 1 Corinthians 5 and then again in 2 Corinthians 2. Paul's writing about a specific situation at the church in Corinth where a man had actually began a relationship with his father's wife, right? It's just this messed up domestic situation that would be on like a soap opera or something like really bizarre. And first Paul comes to him and says, hey, how can you guys allow this to exist in your church? Like how, that's not, not even the Gentiles, not even those outside the church are doing this and you allow this to, you can't allow this. You have to, you have to confront them as, as Jesus said and ultimately get to the point where if you need to, you need to put them out of fellowship. But then he comes back in 2 Corinthians 2 and he says, hey, you put them out of the fellowship and they're, they're broken and they're repentant and now you need to bring them back in because the goal was not to separate them and say get good riddance, right? The goal is to bring them back in, and, and, and you, need to, you need to forgive, and you need to allow them back in. And so the goal is always restoration. When it gets to the point of involving the church, that doesn't mean uh, coming up and grabbing the mic and saying, hey, uh, Ezra, I have an announcement I need to make this morning. <laughs> uh, you two know about it. The rest of you are about to be surprised, right? That's the point at which you come to the, to the, to the pastors, uh, to the elders, to Dave Edwards, to Keith Grant, to myself. You, you come and say, hey, look, this is what's going on. I've tried to pursue it biblically the way that, that I'm called to. Because uh, the first question I'm going to ask you is, hey, have you talked to that person directly? But if you, if you have and they're unrepentant and you've taken a couple others in the room, then that's the point where, where we then engage and say, hey, what's the appropriate way to work this through the church? How do we work this so that we can get to this person to a place of restoration? Or if they're completely unwilling, out of love for them, uh, to, to say what is abundantly true to the church, like you're operating in disobedience to Jesus. And we can't, we can't embrace you and say, yes, this person is a follower of Jesus if you're clearly just denying what he's called you to do. But it's always done out of love. It's always done with a desire for restoration. And it points out something really counterintuitive, right? This is an incredibly strong argument for you to become a member of a church, to be a member of this church, if you're visiting with us, to be a member of the church where you're at. Why? Because in your, in your more sane moments, in your better moments, you say, man, I would hate for that to ever happen to me. <laughs> I can't imagine how horrible that would be. 
uh, man, God, protect me from that. I need brothers and sisters that are walking with me to protect me. And so by, by voluntarily becoming a member of the church, you're inviting uh, oversight. You're inviting people to say like, hey, I'm going to watch out for you. And if I see you straying, I'm going to, to put in the effort to bring you back because I love you. And, and we should want that. We, we, should want, we shouldn't want an escape clause like, hey, if I go off the rails, I just want people to let me go. <laughs> right? No, if, if I go off the rails, I want somebody to, to try and bring me back in. I want to invite that into my life. And so it's counterintuitive, but I would say that's a strong argument for becoming a member of a church. You're, you're inviting the church to hold you accountable to what you say you believe. So that's the process that we go through. But beyond the process, we also have the promises of Jesus. Jesus gives us, do, do we need some encouragement in words, right? This is a heavy, this is a heavy message, right? <laughs> and this is one of the things I love about going through Scripture. We, we, we walk through, uh, would I have chosen this message to preach? Probably, probably not, because I'm a, I'm a, I would say a peacemaker, but <laughs> others would say a conflict avoider, right? So, so we, uh, you know, I love the like, Jesus is going to heal you, and Jesus, right? But this is also true. Jesus is full of grace, and he's full of truth. And whenever we diminish one or the other, we're less than what he wants us to be. If we diminish truth and we, and we just only talk about grace, then, then, then we're weak, we're anemic, we're not really the church of Jesus. But if we're only about truth and we don't exhibit any grace, then we're not any better than the Pharisees, right? So, so we have to be full of grace and full of truth, fully knowing and acknowledging the truth of what God has told us and fully seeking every opportunity to exhibit grace, mercy, love, and compassion to one another and pursue restoration. So the promises of Jesus, and, and many of you have heard these verses before. It begins in verse 18. He says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything, they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Have you guys ever heard these verses before? Right? They're, they're popular in Christian circles. They're in greeting cards. They're, uh, they get thrown out in every, every conversation. But the reality is, is that Jesus is delivering these promises in a very specific situation, right? He's doing it within the context of like, hey, you're doing the hard work of pursuing someone who is straight and trying to restore them. And that is really difficult. But I want you to know you're not doing it alone. That as the church, as the gathered body of believers, you have the authority to proclaim my truth over their situation. And so the hard truth of saying, hey, look, you're in unrepentant sin. You are denying Jesus. You claim to follow him, but you're not doing it. And so the Bible says that if you are unrepentant in your sin, if you're, if you're not living in the, in the grace and the, in the forgiveness of Jesus, uh, that you're not in a place of salvation. But the great news is that no matter what you've done, no matter how horrible the sin, no matter how broken you feel inside, that the promise of Scripture is that if you repent, that you can receive total and complete forgiveness. It's the song we just sang, right, about being clean, right? The Bible says that. That is true, and we as a church can say that with authority. You are forgiven. If someone is broken and they go through this process and they come back and say, I don't know how I can ever be forgiven. I, I, I repent. I'm, I, I'm asking you for forgiveness, but I don't know that I can ever forgive myself. I don't know that you can ever forgive me. We can look at them with all authority and say, Jesus forgives you. He says it in his word. And so do we. Right? So, so we can speak with authority. We know that we have his support wherever two or more agree that it will be done in, in Father's name as we, as we come prayerfully biblically seeking a, a resolution to this, that we can be confident that God will, will work in it. And we're promised his presence, that we're not doing it alone, that he is with us in this. This is his work. 
that he loves to do, and, he, and he's with us. And so we, so we have these great promises to help us out. It begs this question. So, so when are we past forgiveness? How far is too far? When have you gone past the point of no return? Peter kind of asked this in a, in, a, in, a, in a subtle way that makes him look good, right? In verse 21, he says this. He says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Notice he doesn't say, how many times will I sin and other people forgive me, right? <laughs> he says, how many times is this guy going to sin against me and I'll forgive him? Seven times? Jesus said to him, I did not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some of your Bibles might say 70 times seven, right? Whether it's 77 or whether it's 490, if you've got like the tally marks in the back of your Bible and you're 63, <laughs> you're, you're on thin ice, right? You missed the point of what Jesus is saying. That's not what he's saying, right? Some of us are approaching that number, right? But that's where you, you go with 490, right? But, um, but Jesus is saying, at this time, the rabbis would say, the contemporary teaching was this. It said, hey, if somebody sins against you and you forgive them three times, you've done your duty. You know, if you forgave them three times and then they still turn, at that point, your hands are washed of it. So Peter says, hey, how about if I double it plus one? What if I do it seven? That's pretty good, right? And Jesus is like... Let me tell you, and so what he tells him about is the perspective of the gospel that we have to bring into the situation every time, the perspective of the gospel. Listen to this parable, this story that Jesus tells. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, um, scholars debate about the exact amount of money that this would be in modern terms, but it's a lot. A denarii was one day's wage and 600 denarii was one talent. So a talent was about two years' wages, right? So 10,000 talents, depending on how people calculate it, 600 million, 6 billion, it's a huge debt, really an insurmountable debt. And, uh, and, and so he owes him this debt that he could never repay. Verse 25, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a hundred denarii is not an insignificant amount of money. Uh, remember, we said a denarii is a day's wage. So it's a hundred days wage. So it's like three months. You know, we're talking tens of thousands of dollars. Not an insignificant sum, but by comparison... <laughs> A much smaller amount, right? He owed him a hundred denarii. Seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, using the same words, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused, and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Man, that's a heavy parable, right? <laughs> that's convicting. And the tendency is to want to try and, like, water it down or diminish it or, man, it doesn't, well, it doesn't really say. It says what it says, right? 
Now, clearly what Jesus is pointing to here is that, that, that we are like the, the, the first servant in this, in this parable. Our sin has racked up a debt with God that we could never repay. The debt that we owe to God because of our sin is so great that no amount of earthly effort could ever repay it. And we look at the words of the man, he came to him and he said, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. Well, he could never repay him everything. It's kind of like the, the older son in the story of the prodigal son, right? Where the son comes back and says, father, take me on as a servant and I'll work off what I owe you and stuff. And, and the father says, no, I forgive you, right? The king says, hey, you can never repay this debt, but I forgive the debt. The debt is removed. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you have been forgiven of an immense immeasurable debt. The, the debt of your sin has been forgotten. It's been erased as far as the east is from the west because of what Jesus did. It wasn't, just, it wasn't just erased, but it's actually Jesus paid the debt for you, which is even more significant. It's one thing to tear it up. It's another thing to say, hey, I'm going to pay the penalty for you. I'm going to go to the cross and die and suffer for you. I'm going to pay in your place. But that's what he does for us. And then he says, for another servant to go... And then a significant debt, but a lesser debt, and be unwilling to forgive it? It's like, that's not in keeping with the gospel. It's not in keeping with the gospel. He was bound by the debt, but the king loosed him of it. And he says, you must forgive from your heart. Now, let me say this about forgiveness. This is significant. Um, forgiveness is really that desire for restoration, right? To say, hey, God, if I could pray for anything, if you could give me anything that I asked for, I want a relationship with that person that's better than it was before the sin took place. That's what I truly desire. And my heart is open to it, and that's what I want more than anything. Now, restoration is dependent upon that person repenting, acknowledging their sin, making effort to restore the relationship, right? Forgiveness and, and restoration are not always the same thing, but, but what it is saying is that as a Christian, we, we can never say, um, you know what I want most? I want you to suffer. <laughs> I want you to go through what I went through. I want you to pay for what you've done, and I will never forgive you no matter what you do. Jesus says that's not in keeping with the gospel. That's not the heart of someone who's understood what it's been to, to be forgiven of a great, great debt. We can't do this in our own strength, right? Like, as people, we're just, we can't. We can't do it. It's only through the perspective of the gospel when we understand what Jesus has done for us that it, it puts us in a position to be able to forgive, to be able to love outside of our strength. And notice that the hard heart of this servant was shocking to the other servants. That's all, they're like, wow. Right? And so when, as Christians, when we're unforgiving, when we're not seeking restoration, when we're, when we're judgmental and when, we're, when we're, um, we, we seek to execute our own justice, it's, it's offensive to the world around us. They look at it, they're like, wow, this isn't right. Something's wrong here. So by living out that forgiveness, it gives an incredible opportunity to display the heart of God. Here's a couple questions to think about in response to the message today um, from different parts of it, right? Is there someone who you need to speak with concerning unrepentant sin out of love for them and a desire for a restored relationship? Check your heart. Check your motives. If you just want to go talk to somebody, hey, Ezra just gave me the permission to go light somebody up, right? <laughs> you probably need to pray about it. <laughs> We're not supposed to go talk to others, but you can pray to God. You say, God, check my heart. 
Am I doing this because I really love this person and I want what's best for them and I want to restore a relationship? If you're not there, maybe you need to pray before you go do it, right? Do you need to consider becoming a member of the church? Putting yourself under, uh, under the, the, the watchful eye of your brothers and sisters, saying, hey, I willingly submit to, I want you to keep me accountable to what I claim to believe. I want you to pursue me if I stray. Third, are you, are you harboring unforgiveness in your heart towards someone? Do you need to look at this situation in the light of the gospel? Do you need to take seriously Jesus' words at the end of this parable? So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And finally, um, have you experienced the extravagant forgiveness that Jesus is offering to you? Do you know that feeling of having your debt forgiven? Have you ever come to a, because that's what it is to be a Christian. Christian is not doing a bunch of religious ceremonies. It's not rituals. It's not, it's not uh, dressing up in your Sunday best, right? Like, none of these things. It's not having a Christian grandmother. None of those things is being a Christian. <laughs> it's not a boxy check on the census form. To be a Christian is to be someone who understands um, that your sin had created this great gap between you and God, but that Jesus willingly came and paid that debt in your place so that you could be restored to God. And if you've never experienced that, man, that's the beginning of it all. And I would encourage you that today, I would love for today to be the day that you come to believe that and know that to be true. And if that is your day today, if you're like, yeah, that's what I want, Man, reach out, speak to the person who came with you if they're, if they're a follower of Jesus, if they're someone you respect and trust. Let them know what, what God has done in your heart. If, uh, you can send me an email. It's Ezra at RiversideConnect.com. Um, if that's too old school for you, you can find me on Instagram or Twitter or something, right? Like, I, I don't care. <laughs> Just find me. <laughs> or you can come talk to me, right, if you want to go super old school. But reach out because it, it's not an easy path, but it's, it's a beautiful path. It's, it's the path that God desires for each one of us to follow. And, um, and man, in his word, he lays out some things, and I would love to talk to you about that. Um, I'm going to invite the band to come forward. And I just want to invite you to, to pray with me over whatever way God spoke to your heart this morning.